This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of knee biomechanics from the recon section on orthobullets.com. So as a quick introduction, the knee is comprised of two joints, the tibiofemoral joint and the patellofemoral joint. Starting with the patellofemoral articulation, the function of this joint is to transmit tensile forces generated by the quadriceps to the patellar tendon. The patellofemoral articulation increases the lever arm of the extensor mechanism. It's important to point out that patellectomy decreases extension force by 30%. As far as the biomechanics, the patellofemoral joint reaction force is up to seven times body weight with squatting and two to three times body weight when descending stairs. As far as motion, the patellofemoral articulation has a quote sliding articulation where the patella moves seven centimeters caudally during full flexion. Maximum contact between the femur and patella is at 45 degrees of flexion. As far as stability, Passive restraints to lateral subluxation include the medial patellofemoral ligament, the medial patellomeniscal ligament, and the medial retinaculum. The medial patellofemoral ligament is the primary passive restraint to lateral translation in 20 degrees of flexion and has 60% of total restraining force. The medial patellomeniscal ligament has 13% of total restraining force. And finally, the medial retinaculum has 10% of total restraining force. The dynamic restraint of the patellofemoral articulation is the quadriceps muscles. An important concept to understand is the Q angle, which is defined as a line drawn from the anterior superior iliac spine to the middle of the patella to the tibial tuberosity. A normal Q angle in extension for males is 13 degrees and in females is 18 degrees. In flexion, a normal Q angle is 8 degrees. To learn more about Q angle pathology, be sure to listen to the podcast episode about patellar instability or be sure to review the topic on orthobullets.com or the Bullets app. Now let's talk about the tibiofemoral articulation. So the function of the tibiofemoral joint is transmission of body weight from the femur to the tibia. As far as biomechanics, the tibiofemoral joint reaction force is three times body weight with walking and four times body weight with climbing. In terms of motion in the sagittal plane, Range of motion includes three degrees of hyperextension to 155 degrees of flexion. Thigh-calf contact is usually the limiting factor to full flexion. Normal gait requires range of motion from zero to 70 degrees. As far as rotation, the instant center of rotation is defined at the point at which the joint surfaces are in direct contact. As far as the relevance of instant center of rotation, the important concept to understand is posterior rollback which is as the knee flexes, the instant center of rotation on the femur moves posteriorly. This allows for increased knee flexion by avoiding impingement. Another important concept to understand is the quote screw home mechanism. This is defined as the tibia externally rotating five degrees in the last 15 degrees of extension. The cause of this is that the medial tibial plateau articular surface is longer than the lateral tibial plateau. The relevance of the screw home mechanism is that it locks the knee, decreasing the work performed by the quadriceps while standing. Now let's talk about the stability of the tibiofemoral articulation. So stability to varus stress comes from the lateral collateral ligament. Stability to valgus stress comes from the superficial portion of the medial collateral ligament. The majority of stability to anterior translation comes from the anterior cruciate ligament or ACL. In terms of attachments, the origin of the ACL is the semicircular area on the posteromedial aspect of the lateral femoral condyle. The insertion is just anterior to and between the intercondylar eminences of the tibia. As far as components of the ACL, it's composed of the anteromedial bundle, which is tight in flexion, and the posterolateral bundle, which is tight in extension. 
The function of the ACL is as a primary static restraint to anterior translation, and it also plays a role in axial rotation. Stability to posterior translation primarily comes from the posterior cruciate ligament, or PCL. As far as the attachments of the PCL, the origin is the anterolateral medial femoral condyle, and the insertion is the tibial sulcus below the articular surface. The components of the PCL include the anterolateral bundle, which is tight in flexion, and the posterior medial bundle, which is tight in extension. The function of the PCL is as a primary static restraint to posterior translation. Finally, with respect to external rotation, the posterolateral corner is the primary stabilizer of external tibial rotation. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's do two quick flashcards to test your recall. Flashcard 1. What is the posterior rollback mechanism of the knee? So the posterior rollback mechanism of the knee is as the knee flexes, the instant center of rotation on the femur moves posteriorly. And moving on to the second flashcard, describe the knee extension screw home mechanism. So the screw home mechanism is defined as the tibia externally rotating 5 degrees in the last 15 degrees of extension. Okay, now let's apply what we learned further by doing a few multiple choice questions. First question. Which of the following best describes normal tibiofemoral joint kinematics? And the choices are 1. The femur undergoes internal rotation with knee flexion. 2. The lateral femoral condyle remains stationary on the lateral tibial plateau during knee flexion from 0 to 120 degrees. 3. The tibia undergoes internal rotation with knee flexion. 4. The medial femoral condyle moves posteriorly on the medial tibial plateau during knee flexion from 0 to 120 degrees. And 5. Beyond 120 degrees of flexion, only the lateral femoral condyle participates in femoral rollback. The correct answer to this question is 3. The tibia undergoes internal rotation with knee flexion. So the tibia is subjected to internal rotation with knee flexion, and the tibia externally rotates on the femur as the knee extends. So remember, EX in externally and EX in extends. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1. The femur undergoes internal rotation with knee flexion is incorrect as the femur does not internally rotate with knee flexion. Answer 2, the lateral femoral condyle remains stationary on the lateral tibial plateau during knee flexion from 0 to 120 degrees is incorrect, as laterally, the femoral condyle and the contact area moves posterior on the tibia during knee flexion from 0 to 120 degrees. Answer 4, the medial femoral condyle moves posteriorly on the medial tibial plateau during knee flexion from 0 to 120 degrees is incorrect, as medially the femoral condyle and the contact area remain relatively stationary during knee flexion from 0 to 120 degrees. Finally, answer 5, beyond 120 degrees of flexion, only the lateral femoral condyle participates in femoral rollback is incorrect, as beyond 120 degrees of flexion, both condyles participate in femoral rollback. To quickly review, the axis of rotation shifts posterior on the lateral condyle with knee flexion. Flexion and extension at the knee occur about a constantly changing center of rotation, otherwise known as polycentric rotation. Freeman et al. conducted a biomechanical experiment and found that the medial femoral condyle does not move much from 0 to 120 degrees of flexion. They also found that the lateral femoral condyle and the contact area between that condyle and the tibia move posteriorly and tibial internal rotation occurs with knee flexion. 
they found that from 120 degrees to full flexion, both condyles participate in rollback. Moving on to the next question. The term paradoxical motion used to describe knee kinematics is best described by which of the following definitions? And the choices are one, the patella does not roll forward into the trochlear groove during knee extension. Two, the tibia rolls back on the femur during knee extension. Three, the tibiofemoral contact point moves anteriorly during knee flexion. Four, the posterior cruciate ligament rolls posteriorly with respect to the anterior cruciate ligament during knee extension. And five, the femur rolls back on the tibia during knee flexion. The correct answer to this question is three, the tibiofemoral contact point moves anteriorly during knee flexion. So the term rollback describes the posterior movement of the tibiofemoral contact point with knee motion from extension to flexion. Therefore, with paradoxical rollback, this contact point moves anteriorly. Paradoxical rollback is a term used to connote the inability of the anterior cruciate deficient posterior cruciate retaining total knee prosthesis to create normal posterior femoral rollback with knee flexion. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following statements best describes the kinematic behavior of the knee during motion from full extension to flexion? And the choices are one, both the medial and lateral knee tibiofemoral contact points rotate and translate equally with increasing knee flexion. Two, the medial femoral condyle translates much less than the lateral femoral condyle with knee flexion. Three, the lateral femoral condyle translates much less than the medial femoral condyle with knee flexion. Four, the medial compartment rotates internally, whereas the lateral compartment rotates externally. And five, the lateral compartment rotates internally, whereas the medial compartment rotates externally. The correct answer to this question is two, the medial femoral condyle translates much less than the lateral femoral condyle with knee flexion. So during normal knee flexion, knee kinematic analysis reveals that the medial tibiofemoral contact point moves very little in the anterior-posterior direction, whereas the lateral contact point moves much greater in the anterior-posterior direction, resulting in more lateral translation, rollback, and medial pivoting. Moving on to the next question. During normal human knee flexion, beginning with the knee fully extended, which of the following statements best describes tibial rotation with respect to the femur? And the choices are one, rotation is constantly occurring in both directions during the flexion cycle. Two, the tibia initially externally rotates, then progressively internally rotates. Three, the tibia initially internally rotates, then progressively externally rotates. Four, the tibia initially internally rotates, then remains in that rotational position until deep flexion when further internal rotation occurs. And five, the tibia initially externally rotates, then remains in that rotational position until deep flexion when further external rotation occurs. The correct answer to this question is four, the tibia initially internally rotates, then remains in that rotational position until deep flexion when further internal rotation occurs. So during knee flexion, the tibia initially rotates internally in approximately the first 20 degrees and generally maintains this rotational position until flexion past 90 degrees when significantly more internal rotation occurs. Moving on to the next question. Significant anterior tibial translation occurs during which of the following rehabilitation exercises? And the choices are one, terminal weight-bearing knee extension, two, terminal non-weight-bearing knee extension, three, terminal weight-bearing knee flexion, 
4. Terminal non-weight-bearing knee flexion, and 5. Mid-range weight-bearing knee flexion. The correct answer to this question is 2. Terminal non-weight-bearing knee extension. So terminal non-weight-bearing knee extension exercises from 60 degrees to 0 degrees of flexion increase anterior tibial translation. It is for this reason that this type of exercise should be avoided in the early phase of rehabilitation following anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction so as not to place a tensile strain on the graft. The other rehabilitation exercises either lead to posterior tibial translation in relation to the femur or have no significant effect on tibial translation. And moving on to the final question, what is the most accurate description of the relationship between gender and knee loading during landing while playing basketball? And the choices are 1. Males have greater total valgus knee loading. 2. Females have greater total valgus knee loading. 3. Males have greater total varus knee loading. 4. Females have greater total varus knee loading. And 5. There is no gender difference in total varus or valgus knee loading. The correct answer to this question is 2. Females have greater total valgus knee loading. So Ford and Associates studied 81 high school basketball players and found that females landed with greater total valgus knee loading and a greater maximum valgus knee angle than male athletes. Hewitt and Associates reported in a study of 205 female athletes that those with increased dynamic valgus and high abduction loads were at increased risk of anterior cruciate ligament injury. That's all for this review about knee biomechanics. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.